Welcome everyone. This is the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are happy you joined us today. The Spirit of God speaks with words crafted for our hearts. And now from God's Word, it is time to feed up. With an introduction for today's message, here is our speaker, Joel Van Hoogen. We're conducting a series on praying for missions, and I'm afraid that it's a topic that holds little interest for the Christians of North America. But ignoring these lessons is like a farmer ignoring the rules for planting seeds. It will result in starvation if you don't cultivate for the harvest, and then death. And the fastest way to kill the church in North America is to turn away from its primary role in reaching the world for Jesus Christ. So listen up. Pray for your missionaries. First, pray for more of them to rise up from among us. And second, as we learn today, pray for their unity in the work of the gospel. Book of Acts, you read on and find out that at the very end, chapter 15 there of Acts, that here's Barnabas and Paul who had had this wonderful, successful mission going out to the Gentiles. But when they started out, Barnabas had wanted to take along his nephew, Mark. And Mark didn't handle it very well. He didn't tolerate the challenges and the difficulties. And he got homesick for his mother or something. And he returned and he left them. And they're going to go out now for a second time. And Barnabas wants to give Mark another try and wants to bring him along. And Paul says, there's not a chance we're bringing him with us again. I'm not going to bring him. He's just a drag on us. He's not going to be helpful to us in any way. He's not coming. Well, no, he needs to come. He's not. I believe he needs to come. He's not coming. And there's a huge conflict between Barnabas and between Paul, and they divide and go two separate ways. Listen, God is so wonderful and so sovereign, and we say God hits straight licks with crooked sticks. So God uses Barnabas and I'm sure Mark in their ministry that they took off to and uses Paul and Silas in their ministry, but what if the gospel was hindered in that conflict? Let's not think that it all turned out because God used it, that it was all for the better. Oh, it grieves the Spirit of God and it slows the progress of the gospel. And by the way, Paul was wrong. Paul was wrong. And Paul found out later he was wrong. You go to 2 Timothy. At the end of 2 Timothy, Paul is writing and he's asking for different things to be brought to him while he's in prison. And Paul writes and says, get Mark and bring him to me because he is very useful to me, helpful to me. He said before, we're not bringing him. He's not going to be useful to us. He's not going to be helpful to us. <laughs> Send Mark to me. He's very useful to me. How much we need to pray for unity among the laborers of the gospel and for the Spirit of Christ, like love and sacrifice to cover their interactions with one another. You'd think that what they needed was the Christ-like spirit of love to cover their interactions with those that they're seeking to win to Christ. But really it begins by them needing to find unity with one another. I kind of would like to remind you of something we've said a number of times, and it's that the Lord Jesus is not merely the mediator between man and God, between us and God, but the Lord Jesus is meant to be, for the believer, the mediator between man and man. He's always to come between you and the person you are relating to. He is to be interposed between you and all of your relationships. You're to approach, and we are to approach one another thinking, not only how would Christ have me live and what would Christ have me do, but we're to approach it saying, Lord Jesus, please come. 
live your life out between us. Bring your sense of peace and harmony. You who broke down the middle wall of partition, break it down here. In my spirit, in my attitude. So, pray the Lord Jesus will go between his laborers so that Christ will be leading in every relationship. Pray that these laborers for Christ will be willing to be defrauded and misrepresented and misunderstood and disregarded and all of this without a reaction, without a defense. Pray that the missionary that goes out for God's cause and for the sake of the gospel will be granted tremendous meekness in personal matters and great boldness in the matters of the gospel. Hear that? Pray that they would be granted tremendous meekness in personal matters and great boldness in the matters of the gospel. I'm very thankful that the Lord has, in many occasions, demonstrated His power to rescue those sticky situations and bring healing and harmony and to surrender and submissive to brothers that get at odds with one another on the mission field. I'm very thankful to have even been allowed of God to play a role in those circumstances. I also grieve that it doesn't always happen. And in those occasions and on those occasions, the work of the gospel suffers. Pray also for a unity, not only in relationships, but pray for a unity in the task at hand. Pray for a unity in the task at hand. This is something that I hope you'll grasp and understand what I'm saying here. But particularly in the cause of evangelism and in the initiation of new churches that you want to see planted in the mission field or even on the field of service here in North America, there is little place for tightly dividing up over doctrines not essential to the declaration of the gospel. Did you hear me? Particularly in the cause of evangelism and reaching the world for Jesus Christ, there is little place for tightly dividing up over doctrines not essential to the declaration of the gospel. And this should actually, in fact, be always the case, but it should be extraordinarily the case in the issue of missions and the issue of ministry and evangelism that all of our theology should ultimately be an exposition of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, whatever your theological position and plank is, it needs to chase its way back to the gospel of another in our stead, one who has suffered for us and died in our behalf and risen to grant to those who believe and trust in Him everlasting life and reconciliation with God. That should always be that. It should always ultimately draw into the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, the wonderful thing is when we do that, even if we disagree in different theological points, but our theological points bring us back to the feet of the Lord Jesus and bring us back to the cross and give us a message of proclaiming Him and His cross, knowing nothing among men but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Well, even though we might disagree somehow on the route that we took as we crafted together our theology, we will agree on our destination. We'll find harmony in the purpose of bringing people to the feet of the Lord Jesus and to His cross. Look at Mark chapter 9, verses 38 to 40 for a second. 
John, one of the sons of thunder, a little distressed and bothered, he comes to the Lord Jesus because of something he's observed. Master, we saw someone casting out devils in your name, and he followed, not us. And so we forbade him because he didn't follow us. Jesus said, forbid him not, for there's no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me, for he that is not against us is on our part. What a wonderful magnanimity that Christ expresses here. A broadness and openness. Very often, the work of ministry and missions is inhibited because individuals will become so committed to their strategies and to their ecclesiastical structures that they'll censor anyone who's not embracing that strategy or that structure. They'll actually, in a sense, wish harm against them. We can make idols of these goals and strategies and visions that we have. We can make idols as well of certain doctrinal planks that we carry. And when a person doesn't cross his T or dot his I's in the same manner that we do, we refuse to unite in a spirit of unity for the work of the gospel. We need to be careful. We can't be so committed to our ideas and our strategies and our formulas that we make it an idol where we bow down to that instead of the call to bring Jesus Christ and his message to the ends of the earth. This also happens in our theology. I recently read a book on the history of a mission to one small nation in Africa. The physical toll that the work required from the people that went to that country was exhausting to read about. Imagine what it was to suffer it. They were sweeping up on the shore and they reminded you of people rushing the beach on D-Day. So many of them never made it past the shoreline. and Their lives were surrendered in trying to bring the gospel to this little locked-in piece of land in Africa where they had had a burden and desire to take the gospel. Ultimately, there were different missionary organizations that tried to penetrate this region and none of them survived. Finally, there were only two organizations that were able to get a hold in that area. But they were so impoverished by their efforts, so beaten down, so literally physically racked with disease among their missionaries that there didn't stand a chance for them to carry out the work unless they united together in the cause. Each one of them had stories to tell of how God had miraculously continued to open doors for them even as they were being affected by this great battle to bring the gospel in this place and tremendous resistance. And what was very apparent was, and what they even knew themselves, was they needed to unite together for the cause of bringing the gospel to that nation, but they couldn't. And the reason was, one of the organizations was not sufficiently dispensational enough in its doctrine as compared to another one. In other words, I don't need to explain it to you, one of them didn't have quite as tight a doctrinal perspective as the other one had on a certain issue of how to read their Bibles and interpret it and know how God moves through the various times and histories and epochs of human history. Because they couldn't agree on that, they just couldn't work together. They tried it. It lasted for only a couple years and then they broke up. They couldn't do it. The author who's writing the book was rejoicing that a hundred years after that, the churches are finally beginning to unite in bringing their message to that nation. And so you see how important it is to pray for unity. 
By the way, when we talk about these things and how we ought to pray, keep in mind that how we pray, the matters of concern for our praying should also be the matters of concern for our living. How we live. These are, I think, wonderfully practical lessons to learn for ourselves. Look at, I have my positions. I am quite definitely set upon certain doctrines in which I will not budge and in which I trust God will not allow our fellowship to budge from as well. But in the work of sending forth the gospel to the ends of the earth, I don't hold those I assist to the same doctrinal line that I have myself. I'm not a Pentecostal, but you know in some parts of Russia and Greece, the only evangelical church is a Pentecostal church. And I'll work with Pentecostals. I'll work to train them and teach them and express to them tools that they can use to bring the gospel to those in their community. I am a premillennialist. That is, I believe that the Lord Jesus is coming again to this earth and he's going to reign upon this earth for a thousand years. I'm convinced of it. And in that time, he's going to begin to establish and set up the promises and fulfill them that were made not only to me and you, but to all of Israel throughout the Old Testament. I am resolutely a premillennialist, but I have actually worked side by side with those who don't believe in the premillennial return of Jesus Christ. You've been listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until our next time, God bless you.